Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Through the written word and the spoken word, may we know your living word, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Happy Veterans Day weekend to those who are veterans. What do you think of when I say the word apocalypse? Gloom and doom? Millions of people standing in line waiting to be sucked up into the sky? Violent anarchy? Is Jesus going to come back in a tank and blow everything up to smithereens? Well, I hope not. Apocalypse means revelation. Technically, it refers to a particular type of literature, like the book of Revelation, full of dramatic symbolism, revealing divine realities in order to help readers often facing persecution or suffering, to interpret their present circumstances and live accordingly. Today in our church calendar, we are situated at the end of the church year. Christ the King Sunday is in a couple of weeks, and we can celebrate the mysterious time, the end times, if you will, the reign of Christ over all creation. This morning in Matthew, Jesus is no longer sparring with the Pharisees and with his disciples at the end of his, and is with his disciples at the end of his ministry. He is sitting at the Mount of Olives, overlooking the temple. Yet again, we do not encounter the warm and fuzzy Jesus, which if you think about it, makes sense when you know Jesus is speaking as candidly as he can to his friends. He's not holding back what's at stake when a person does not repent and reorient their ways so that they may be spiritually ready to usher in the Messiah, meeting Jesus face to face. For context, in Matthew 24, Jesus leaves the temple to go sit at the Mount of Olives, and he foretells the destruction of the temple when the disciples foolishly point out all the various important buildings. Jesus says to them, do you see all of this? This place will be completely demolished, and nothing will be the same. And in other words, this place is unnecessary. Ooh, that is some statement, Jesus. They arrive at the Mount of Olives, 
And the disciples, his friends, desperately ask him, Tell us when this will be. What signal of yours will you give for your second coming? And when will be the end of the age? They want to know where and when to be ready to await their Lord's coming again and when the end of ages occurs. Their friend Jesus simply says, Beware no one leads you astray. Do not listen to others who desires draw you further away from me and from your important mission. This is the beginning of Jesus' dramatic explanation of how this time will end and a new age will come. It comes alive in the new creation and will be revealed in great glory when the Son of Man returns. But remember, you don't know when that will be. So pay attention and be mindful of what's going on around you and in you. Our gospel passage in Matthew 25 is a trio of parables about the end of time, the second coming. In Greek, the parousia, literally meaning presence or essence alongside. This is what we call apocalyptic language. In this parable, Jesus tells the story of ten bridesmaids who are waiting for a groom. There was a custom that when people were to be married, part of the dowry or payment for the bride would be for the groom to prepare a place for her to go after the wedding reception. In order to get to the wedding reception, the groom is ushered in by the bridesmaids with light, bringing him to meet his bride and celebrate at a mighty wedding feast where all are partaking in the enjoyment of the festivities and come together as a family to celebrate their union. In Jesus' story, the bridesmaids are waiting what feels like eternity for the groom to come, and they all fall asleep, all of them. They hear the call that the groom is on his way, and they needed to be ready for his arrival. To see and meet the groom, the women must light their lamps, and five of them did not bring any oil with them to sustain the light. In a moment of panic, the short-sighted bridesmaids are encouraged by the others to go buy oil somewhere for their lamps, except it was nighttime and most of the places were closed. But they think they have plenty of time before the groom comes. He's late, after all. While the five were buying oil, the groom comes and is led to the wedding banquet by the five who stayed and waited with their lights lit. 
those who waited had the opportunity to not only lead the groom to the wedding banquet, but also spend time with him. What happens when we spend time with people we haven't met before? We now know them, and they know us. We are no longer strangers. Honestly, what was your initial feeling when we came to the end of Jesus' parable? I don't know about you, but for me, it felt painful. The door is shut, and the other five bridesmaids are left pounding on the door outside of the party. And in desperation, they call, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore, keep alert because you don't know the day or the hour when I'll come back. Ouch. That sounds serious. And it is. The foolish bridesmaids were left on the outside and told by the groom that they were strangers to him. He doesn't know them, and they don't know him either. But I remember this. We must remember that this is Jesus who is telling the story And so the lens of love and reconciliation and grace is the only way to interpret this passage with hope and awe. Isolation, exclusion, and death never have the final word. Christ the Lord is the final word as he shed his blood and tears for us. The parable is only understood when we know that the wedding banquet is the heavenly banquet. This banquet is for eternity. The groom is Christ Jesus, and we are his bridesmaids, welcoming and ushering him into the banquet so it can begin. The meal is at the center of the celebration, And so is ours when we gather at the table together for Eucharist. Each time we receive communion, we are at the table of the heavenly banquet with those who are present now, in the past, and future. This eschatological feast, this infinite meal of communion, is a messy thing. You don't know who will be sitting next to you or kneeling next to you at the altar. In Middle Eastern culture, eating is an intimate experience. There's one bowl for each item. You sit on the floor with food in the middle and eat with your hands. This is why they always wash their hands before each meal as a ritual. Have you ever eaten tabula with your hands? Now picture 
everyone in this congregation eating tabula with their hands from the same bowl. But that is exactly what we do every single time we come to Eucharist. We have one plate of bread. We have one cup, one chalice that everybody drinks from. Eucharist has been and always will be a communal experience, even if the priest is the only person consecrating the elements. The real presence of Christ is known. The veil has been torn, and all the company of heaven joins us. The Lamb of God who takes away all sin is available to each one of us if we are ready with the light and follow his wisdom. Staying awake is being present and ever aware of the capacity to sustain the light and exude the light because of the love and goodness that Christ has showered us with. We also are to illuminate the rocky path so those who may have been shut out embrace and embody the essence of Christ, the parousia, God with us, Emmanuel, reorienting how we see and act in the world. In order for the light of the world to be kindled and burn, we need the thing that will make it spark. And we must protect the glow so our lights don't burn out or burn up from what may attempt to extinguish it. We are resurrection people. As I said a couple of weeks ago, the world should be different with followers of Christ living in the world and walking in the word, praising Jesus in every step. Have you ever wondered why halos are on the heads of icons of Jesus, Mary, and the saints? Do you think you have a halo? Halos represent the light of the world and the spiritual wisdom from God. The light of Christ transfers and transforms. Think of it this way. Each and every one of us has a halo placed upon our heads at baptism. The power of the Holy Spirit makes living with a halo a life-giving and joyful responsibility. We have, sorry, have we fully comprehended that when we leave worship, we are sent out into the world with the vision of what is in heaven is possible on earth with the power of Christ and his great glory. Our liturgy is an inhale and exhale of refreshment and reverence. The Eucharist fully integrates us with Christ. 
This integration comes when we trust in God and know we are prepared with what we need and who are the companions we have for the duration of the journey. Something came to my attention last night, and I wasn't really going to put it in the sermon, but I did. Following the wisdom of Jesus is not listening to others or the world as to what they think we should do when we know what the right way is. The bridesmaids who went to buy oil were foolish to leave, but were panicked and were afraid that if the, bride, if the groom arrived, they were not going to be prepared. But who encouraged them to go off and buy oil so late? The wise. Maybe it wasn't that one had oil over another, but that the wise listened and went with the groom and the others were not there to greet him. The wise were prepared with their lamps and readily went with him. He knew the ones who went with him and not the ones who came to the banquet late. Maybe this is what Jesus means by staying awake. You belong at the banquet. Listen, and he will be waiting for you. Where are we in this story? Together, we proclaim Christ's death, resurrection, and the hope of Christ's reign over all when he comes again. All is new. All is reconciled. All are free from the world as we know it. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again is a joyful statement. Here we are in the in-between. We live between Christ's resurrection and his coming again. Advent prepares us for God's arrival. St. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote of the three Advents, the Incarnation, which is the Advent at the first Christmas, when God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, presently, the Advent at Christmas and last of all, the parousia, the advent at the end of the age. The advent at this Christmas is Christ's death. Jesus comes to us again and again, calling us, inviting us to help repair the world. Little by little, a thousand swords remade into a thousand plowshares. God's wholeness dawns even now, though it, its glimmers aren't always obvious at first. Rather, they often shine in unexpected places through unexpected people and creatures 
and at unexpected hours. The light is for the sake of joy and jubilation. Christians have been gifted grace and mercy. And when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead, I pray we have enough oil in our lamps and in our hearts to accept this everlasting invitation of eternal life. Our salvation in Christ Jesus allows us to usher in our King of Kings and Lord of Lords with hope and courage, knowing Christ will usher in a new creation, a new way of living, and an all joy. I'll end with our wisdom reading for today. I chose it to end because we don't normally hear wisdom being proclaimed. Wisdom is radiant and unfading, and she is easily discerned by those, us, who love her, and is found by those, us, who seek her. She hastens to make herself known to those, us, who desire her. One who rises early and seeks her will have no difficulty, for she will be found sitting at the gate. To fix one's thought on her is perfect understanding, and one who is vigilant on her account will soon be free from care, because she goes about seeking those, us, worthy of her, and she graciously appears to them, graciously appears to us in our paths and meets us in every thought. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.